What good is the church? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I think this is a very important question. I'm lucky enough to be part of a church that believes that the church is meant to be a blessing to her neighbors and to the world. We really want to be that kind of church. We're just followers of Jesus who are surprised by his grace and his love for us. So it's our desire to be instruments of that grace and love as we go about our everyday lives. This is our first season of our podcast. It's designed for our church, but we hope it'll be a blessing to others as well. This series of messages lays out the foundations of our sense of where God is leading us as we enter into a new season of ministry. My name's Chad Herb. I'm the senior pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Kingwood. Welcome to the first season of our podcast. It's titled Gathered and Sent. Good morning. Hey, so I just want to tell you from the start, uh, I s- is Lisa in here? Lisa is kind of my boss. Uh, I spilt some tea on the new carpet. Um, I know. I cleaned it up, but it's still wet, and I've been standing in that puddle of wet carpet this whole time. So if a noise comes from me, it's my shoes. <laughs> Do y'all understand what I'm saying? It's my shoes squeaking because my shoes are wet. It's not anything awkward. <laughs> All right, great way to start. Okay, here we go. Hey, well, we're glad you're here. Um, if you uh, missed last week, last week we began uh, to look at where we believe God is leading us as a church um, as we move into this new decade, into this new season of ministry here at First Pres. I mean, the key thing we talked about last week was the idea that we are simultaneously two churches, that we are a church that gathers. We gather so that we can become inwardly strong. When we do that, we're walking alongside each other through the best and the worst of life. We're being formed into disciples of Jesus. We gather together to worship together, to serve together, to learn from scripture, to practice what it means to love God and to love others. So we are a gathered church. But at the same time, we are a sent church. We're a church that's outwardly focused. A church that's sent to and lives for the world just as Jesus was sent to and lives for the world that he loves. That pretty much sums up last week. I guess I could have spared you 30 minutes last week and just said that. Uh, But if you weren't here, um, I really do encourage you uh, to go to our website um, and listen to the sermon from last week. And I always hate saying that because I'm not trying to get you to listen to me, but what we're talking about over the next few weeks, it really matters for the future and direction of our church. And we just want everybody uh, to be on board. So uh, to help with that, over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be launching a podcast Uh, So that'll just be a way to help make these messages more accessible to you and you can share them with others uh, who you might want to invite to come along for the ride. So we'll give you more information about that in the next couple weeks once that's launched and ready to go. So today uh, we're going to begin this little series by talking about the three things we do. So as a church we worship, we become disciples who make disciples, and we serve in mission. This church has always been founded on those three pillars. And then after that we're going to talk about these values that the session has adopted in the weeks to come, uh, that will help us learn how to do those three pillars really well. Does that make sense? Today we're going to start with worship. Uh, So this is from a theologian named Walter Wink. Uh, He says, to worship is to remember who owns the house. I think it's really good. I found that uh, in this commentary as I was putting together materials for today. But just before that quote... I found another one that kind of shocked me. Um, Today we're gonna look through parts of Ephesians 1. And the author says that Ephesians is really hard for us because its language and its ideas are kind of foreign to us. But then he says this, this is what shocked me. He said, much of this section contains unfamiliar thought. 
we are not accustomed to focusing on God and his plan. In our contemporary perspective, we as human beings are the primary actors on the stage of history. But Paul, the author of Ephesians, is asserting that God is the primary actor. Now he wrote that for pastors and teachers who are preparing to do what I'm doing right now. And as he does that, he makes this remarkable and I think sadly true claim that we don't understand scripture because we're not accustomed to focusing on God and his plan. When I read that, I wrote out to the side, WTH. What the heck? Clearly, I wouldn't curse in my sermon prep. Um, And then uh, underneath it, uh, that's the problem. As I've wrestled with this, I've really come to believe this is the problem. This is why the church, where she has lost her way, this is why. When the church has allowed itself to become about entertainment rather than worship, this is why. When Christianity has become nothing more than a tool to help me live my best life now, this is why. Because we have taken God's story, the story of what the almighty loving creator has done, this creator who exists beyond time and space, and we have turned it into a story about not even just us, but about me and my life. Now, don't get me wrong. The passage that we're going to read in just a minute, we are clearly a part of the story. We are a very important part of the story. But what I want us to see today is that we are a part of the story only as a result of God's choice to make us a part. Because God desires that we are a part of God's story. And it's God's activity that makes us a part of it. It's not anything that we have done. It's not because we deserve anything from him. We are a part of this story, and it's the sweetest and most beautiful story ever told, but the story starts with him and not with us. And we have to learn how to make that the primary filter through which we not only read scripture, but understand who we are and why we're here. So I want to give us some tools today to do that. Uh, Let's get into scripture, see what the first chapter of Ephesians has to say about who God is, what God's done, who we are, and how we're to live, and then I want to share some tools with you. Uh, to help you do this on your own. So this is Ephesians 1. I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, Praise be to God. Sorry, different translation. Here we go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ." to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we've heard your scripture read, we've proclaimed the good news through song. We've prayed to you. We've begun to hear your story, hear that call to obedience. God, pray that you would continue to be present with us. Pray that all of this information that we receive and worship is not information, but that it's fuel, fuel that would inspire us and ignite us, that would transform us from within so that we can not only say the right things about you, but live according to your will. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, So the author wrote, we don't understand scripture because we're not accustomed to focusing on God and his plan. Now I will admit this passage is really wordy. It can be difficult to work through. In the Greek, it's almost all one long sentence. The the, uh, grammar of it is a little strange. So it can be really difficult. But if you step back and if you focus, and use a really short list of questions, you can start to understand it more clearly. So I'm gonna give you today four questions uh, that you can use anytime you sit down with any passage in scripture. I have these four questions written at the beginning of most of my Bibles. I have it written at the top of notes that I'm gonna take when I'm preparing to teach or preach. Um, So these four questions would be really helpful if you wanna write them in something that you would take with you uh, throughout the sermon, feel free to do that. Um, These are great tools to help us navigate uh, especially difficult passages. So I would really encourage you all this afternoon, go home and take Ephesians 1, read it for yourself, and then on a piece of paper or in a journal, begin to ask yourself these four questions. The first question that we need to bring to any passage, who is God? Who is this passage telling us God is? Well, my short answer to this question when I read this passage, he's the one who's worthy to be worshiped. He's the only being or thing that is worthy of worship. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by adoption, he's now the father of every Jew and Gentile who has heard and responded to his gospel. He's the one who's full of grace and truth and love. He's fully wise and completely good. He's the one that created time and space, but subjected himself to it so that he could tell us this beautiful story of how much he loves us. You see, what we need to first notice about this passage, as wordy as it is, the passage itself is an act of worship. It's an offering for worship. Remember that quote that I started with, to worship is to remember who owns the house? If God is truly all the things that we read about in this passage, then how can we not offer our worship? Because he is clearly the owner of the house. He is clearly in charge of all things. He's clearly the primary actor in history. How can we not give him our worship? A more difficult question, how could we give our worship to anything else? And when I talk about worship, I don't just mean coming to a worship service once a week. We're gonna talk about that a little more in just a bit. Now this passage is an act of worship. It's a doxology. It's a word of praise and truth about who God is. And it's exactly where we need to start if we're going to understand who we are and how we are to live. When Paul offers an act of worship, he describes God and what God does. And worship has to always have that narrative to it. Every time we worship, it's in response to the description of who God is and what God has done. And that brings us to the second question that we bring to the text. 
The first one, who is God? The second one, what has he done? Well, as I read this passage, my quick answer, he chose us. And he offers us redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he chose us and offered us that redemption simply because he chose to. Because he wanted to. He adopted us into his family because it pleased him to do it. And it brought him great joy. This is a really important theme in scripture. And it's one that we must understand and we actually as a church we often misuse it. Some translations when it talks about God choosing us, that we are chosen, uses the word election. If you're not familiar with our reformed Presbyterian heritage, we love this word. (laughs) We love this word election. We are the elect. We are the chosen. And this passage says that that is absolutely true. But we misunderstand and misuse what that means when we understand it from our perspective first. You see, what we tend to do with the idea of being chosen and with the idea of being the elect is we ask a very human question. Who's in and who's out? Who's with us and who's not? I've always found it really interesting that uh, no group of humans throughout history that is believed in the idea that they are elect or they are chosen for something from a God, no group of humans throughout history has ever come to the conclusion that they are the ones who are out. (laughs) And others are the ones who are in, right? Whoever believes in election always believes that they're the ones who are elect. That is a really good sign that we are thinking about things from our perspective first and not from God's. You see, this whole passage is first and foremost about God. It's not about us. We use this theology of election sometimes dangerously as a tool to exclude people. Or worse, throughout history we've seen, to see one group of people as superior to another. You cannot come to either of those conclusions from this passage or from the totality of scripture. Because that is not how scripture speaks about election or about being chosen. When scripture speaks about God choosing, it speaks about God choosing. The cause. We are chosen because God chose us. That's up to him. And then it speaks about the reason why we were chosen. And it says in this passage that those who are elect would live in Christ, live holy and blameless lives before God. We're chosen for a purpose. And then Paul tags on this phrase, to live holy and blameless before God to the praise of his glory. He'll go on to say that we've been chosen and marked with the Holy Spirit to the praise of his glory. This has happened not just because you're special, it's happened for a purpose, a purpose beyond ourselves. We are chosen and elect for a reason, to worship, to follow, and to love God and others. You see, God chose those he chose, and then he gave them the mark of his spirit living in them so that we would live lives of worship. Not so that we would live average, ordinary lives and then just come to church once a week. He chose us and gave us this gift that we would put on display the fruit of the Spirit throughout the week. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have terrifying news for me and for you. Those aren't optional. 
those aren't for people who are like super Christians. Those aren't individual fruits, pick your favorite. That list is the fruit of the spirit. Those who are chosen and who are in Christ live to the glory of his name and their lives reflect the fruit of his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't worry about it as a test of whether you're saved or not. Worry about it as a test of if you're worshiping God or worshiping something else. Is your life putting those fruit on display? It is to the praise of his glory when his chosen ones are living in his created world the way he created them to live. When his children not only see themselves in the story, but live that story. Relive the story. Live in this world according to his will for us and for this world. That is true worship. You see, we gather here for worship services just to be reminded of this. And then at the end of the service, we are sent out into the world to live these full, true lives of worship. So that takes us to our third question. The first one, who is God? Second, what has God done? The third question is, who are we? And notice it comes third, not first. Who are we? Well, from what I read, if God is the chooser, then we are the chosen. And that's important because it means that we're loved. We were adopted, that means that we are his children. And we have been adopted into the most loving family that any person could ever hope to be a part of. Given room in the house, given a seat at the table, not just invited to come by for dinner every once in a while. He hasn't just offered to pay for our college and then see us on our way. We have given, been given a room that's never gonna be remodeled or given to somebody else. My, my dad started collecting uh, like G.I. Joe dolls, you know, the, but like the old one, like no offense, sorry. There's some really old ones <laughs> for the older people, uh, and, but they're huge. They're like these big dolls, right? So he started collecting them uh, when I moved out. Uh, when I first kind of moved out um, and they're big and he bought a bunch of them um, and they had to have their own room and it, it was mine. <laughs> so um, I lost my room. So, uh, so in, in God's house, <laughs> we've been given this permanent room. Like it's not going to be redecorated with collectibles. We've been, that was really sad, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I'm still working through some stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, so we are his chosen, we are loved, we are redeemed, we are restored. And then on top of all of that, this passage tells us that we've been given a gift. The greatest gift that our adopted father could ever give us, not just his name, but his very being living within us. This is what God said about Jesus when Jesus was baptized at the start of his ministry. This voice came down from heaven saying, you are my son, the beloved, my favor rests on you. And Luke, that message is specifically for Jesus. He is telling Jesus, you are my beloved. If Jesus is the true son of God. If we are now adopted children of God, then what are we? You are his beloved. His favor rests on you. C.S. Lewis said, the son of God became man so that men can become sons of God. And sorry for the gender specific language, I'm just quoting Lewis, you understand what he means. 
Uh, there's a pastor at a church, Ecclesia, in Houston named Chris C. He was just talking about this last week. And he's making the point that in a world that's constantly measuring us, deciding if we're good enough, deciding if we contribute enough to be worthy of anything, scripture tells us that we're not okay. We're not only worthy, we are beloved. Not because we're useful, not because we've done anything to deserve it. We have been chosen and beloved since before we took our first breath, simply because he chose to love us. Do you understand the freedom in love that you didn't earn? Because if you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. He is the only being in all creation that gives us that kind of love. It's the only love that can heal us. We are, we are all the things that, that we've talked about. This passage tells us a lot about ourselves. We're chosen, we're adopted, we're beloved. But finally, in this passage that itself was an offering of worship and praise, we are reminded that we are worshipers. That we are born worshiping something. We die worshiping something. We worship something all day, every day. The question is, what is it that receives our worship? Tim Keller says this. He says, God created us and built us for a relationship with him. We belong to him. And we owe him gratitude for every breath, every moment, everything. Because humans were built to live for him to worship. We will always try to worship something. If not, God will choose some other object of ultimate devotion to give our lives meaning. To live for anything else but God leads to breakdown and decay. When a fish leaves the water, which he was built for, he is not free, he is dead. You see, to worship is to live in joyful obedience to that which is ultimate in life. The danger is we make many things ultimate in life, throughout life, even good things. But when we worship anything as the ultimate, when we live a life of obedience to something that is ultimate, and if that something is anything other than God, do you know what the Bible calls that? Idolatry. And we're going to talk about that next week. And everybody just made plans for next week to not be here. To worship is to live in joyful obedience to that which is ultimate in life. So as a community, we, individuals, come together to worship. We get together every week to worship together, to remind ourselves of what is actually ultimate, of the only thing that's truly worthy of our praise and adoration. And then the final thing that this passage tells us about ourselves is that we are we. In its use of pronouns, it always uses the plural. We are adopted chosen, beloved. It uses a word, soma, which means his body. We are his body. Individuals brought together into community, then brought to life by the power of his Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to what Ephesians 1 says about that spirit, about what it means to be his body. It says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Like, you have to pause there and think about that. The Holy Spirit is the power that raised Christ from the dead. 
And where does that power now live? In you, in us. It's the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And he goes on to say this, and God placed all things under his feet, that's Jesus, placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are his body, filled and fueled by his Holy Spirit, but we always have to remember, he's the head, he's in charge, He's in control. My plans for this church, they don't matter. Plans that our session sits around a table and comes up with for this church, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that we prayerfully discern what Christ is calling this church to be because he is the head and it's only his plan that matters. My plans for my life, they don't matter. They don't. All that matters is Christ is my head, my prayerful discernment and obedience to his will and his purpose for my life. That's good news. Like, we talk about freedom all the time in our culture. That is real freedom. It leads us to our fourth question. Uh, Who is God? What has God done? Who are we? And finally, how do we live? Well, I think this passage tells us that we are first and foremost to live lives of worship. Like I've said, it's one thing to come to a worship service and y'all should totally come every single week to worship. So don't, don't hear me demeaning the worship service. But it's not a life of worship. What we do in here is not a life of worship. It's an opportunity for us to come together as the body, to be united in time and space and to remember the story of who God is and what he's done. Like I said last week and earlier today, we are his body gathered, growing, becoming inwardly strong. But as his body, we are by definition interdependent. We are interconnected. Each of us is connected to and dependent on the other. As a part of the body, I'm dependent on the other parts of the body for the body to be whole. And that means that we each have to do our part that we each need to hear and live into our calling no matter what part of the body we happen to be. And it means that each of us is a crucial member and contributor to the life and the health as Christ's body to the life and the health of Jesus himself here on earth. And then we turn our focus outward. His body sent into the world as the incarnation of Jesus himself. God with us now lives in and through us. And we are sent to be with the lost, to be with the lonely, to be with those who God has chosen and God is calling to himself. And Paul describes who those people might be. He doesn't name us, but he says who those people might be and who they come from. They come from Jews and Gentiles. Do you know who Jews and Gentiles consist of? Every human. A Jew is a Jew, a Gentile is a (laughs) non-Jew. So if we want to look at the pool of people from which God has chosen and called, guess where we need to go? Everywhere. And we go everywhere to put on the display, 
to put on display the good news of Jesus. That is a life of worship. A life that daily, moment by moment, offers praise and adoration simply because of who God is. A life daily, moment by moment, giving him thanks for what he's done. Moment by moment, confessing that we every day accept false definitions of who we are. We accept false reasons for being here. And moment by moment, asking for his help so that we can become people who live lives that are holy and blameless in his sight. Now that might sound overwhelming, but that's not about being perfect. Of all people, God knows that on our own, we can't do that. But we can live holy and blameless lives if we are in Christ. If we are rooted in Christ. If we are worshiping at the feet of Jesus and not at the feet of anything else. If we acknowledge and recognize who owns the house, who's the boss, who gets to set the rules, who knows best how to live in the world that he created. We are holy and blameless when we submit ourselves to that truth and in loving obedience, trust. I really truly believe, I'm not really a follower. (laughs) I'm not super obedient in general. Jennifer and I were laughing yesterday. I get headaches uh, kind of frequently and typically medicine doesn't help. Like I'm so stubborn and disobedient that even my headaches won't obey medicine. I truly believe that this is life best lived. That this is the context in which life is best lived. Christianity isn't just a tool to help us live our best life, but the paradox is that as faithful Christians and followers of Jesus, that is the path to the best life. This is the context where we best live, not in seeking out the best that this world has for me and my family, because the things of this world don't survive into the next, and we all know that, right? The best context for this life is not striving to define myself. That only leads to pride and a lack of humility. The best context to live this life is not attempting to keep up with everybody else, because that assumes that in God's eyes, some people are better than others, and I'm trying to be the best. I catch myself so many times living according to the pressures and the patterns of this world. And every time, every time, I see myself becoming someone that I just simply know that I'm not. It turns me into somebody I wasn't created to be. Inevitably, everything falls apart. See, I really believe, as much as it seems like we're giving up our freedom, I really believe there's great freedom in living this life of worship that the Bible describes. Because when I accept it, there's no more pressure on me to have more stuff than you. Because who cares? As Sabrina reminded us a few couple months ago, people matter more than things. There's no pressure on me to define myself. I've been defined by the one who made me. Honestly, who cares what I think? Who cares what you think? He defines me. There's no more pressure on me to be better than you because I realize that I'm not. I never will be because I'm a child of God just like you. You see, this passage reminds me that he is love and grace and truth, that he has provided for our salvation through the death and resurrection of his son, that we are his beloved children. We are his body. We are his joy and his pleasure. And a community of believers 
that worships is one who understands that worship is not just a service, it's a life lived to the praise of his glory. Thanks be to God, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this good news. Um, As always, anytime we come up against your good news, it's challenging and it's tough because it asks us to give up something of ourselves. So God, I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to do that, to be willing to give up ourselves so that we can live according to the way that you created us to live. So God, guide us, encourage us, correct us, show us that path that you have called us to and show it to us clearly, help us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear who you have made us to be as individuals and as your church. And then make us a people who care so much about others that we can't help but seek and find those who God has called and make them a part of the family. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.